Amen, church. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those. Romans chapter 5 this morning. As you're turning there, I'm reminded of a story that I read this week of a lady. She was an older lady who loved going to church. She loved uh, being at church and hearing the Word of God. And, and she would get so excited that she would scream out, Praise the Lord! Woo! And the pastor, bless his heart, like every time she did it, it just kind of threw off his groove, right? He just kind of would lose, lose it. I don't have that problem here, but that's okay. But, you know, like it would kind of throw him off. And so one day he went to this lady. Yeah, praise the Lord. There you go. And, uh, and, this, and he's like, he's like ma'am, I, I really appreciate your enthusiasm. And I, I know you're really excited about the word of God. But if you could just kind of tone it back just a little bit, and, and I, could, I could really get through my sermon a little bit better. And he said, I'll tell you what. If you, if you don't scream out for the next month, I will, I'll buy you some really nice blankets for your house. Like, you can throw blankets. You can have, I'll, I will buy you some nice blankets. So about four weeks in, they had a guest speaker, and he was preaching about forgiveness and the love of God and the grace of God. And she said, blankets or not, praise the Lord, I'm ready. And so today is one of those sections of Scripture that I'm going to be, like, holding back Praise the Lord. So Romans chapter 5 is a beautiful transition into the second part of the book of Romans that we've been in, where he moves from kind of this case study of, of uh, like, a, like a lawyer pleading his case to now he's going to speak to the church. And, and so these, these verses that we're going to talk about this morning, these are for the believer, okay? So I, I don't want you to be confused on that. This is the promises and the rejoicing we have in justification. So this is the application of justification that if you've been justified in Christ, which is what we've been talking about for weeks now, through faith, that this is what you get to do. You get to rejoice in these things. So Wayne Grudem would say justification is a legal declaration by God. It is God acting as a judge, declaring that an individual is righteous in his sight. If God has declared you righteous in his sight, you do not have to pay the penalty for your past, present, or future sins. Amen? So just praise the Lord. I started something now, I'm pretty sure. So this is a great, this is great. So therefore, this is one of the major therefore statements in the book of Romans. You're going to see what, what we get to live out now that there has been justification. Galatians 2.16, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. This is what we've been talking about. We cannot earn justification. It is a gift of God through faith. We are justified. We are declared innocent of our past present and future sin. That is our new standing in Christ. So as we receive this justification by faith, it produces rejoicing with a life of faith. We're going to respond with rejoicing. And so there's going to be three distinct areas of rejoicing in the next 11 verses that we're going to talk about. And this is the application of justification. Justification by faith gives us peace with God, access to his grace, and the confidence that we are filled with his Holy Spirit. All right, are you excited? Praise the Lord, right? Praise the Lord. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope 
of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even die. But God shows his love for us that in while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the finished and accomplished work of your son, Jesus Christ, on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, that we can be declared just and that we can be justified and that we can walk in that justification as you sanctify us and you one day bring us home. So, Father, we thank you for the hope that we have through your son, Jesus. Today, I pray that through faith, we will receive your word into our hearts and you will change us and mold us and make us into your image from the inside out. And Father, if there's someone here or someone listening who does not know you, today through faith, Lord, would you draw them into your presence, draw them to surrender and bow a knee to your lordship. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Because of justification by faith, we rejoice in hope. We rejoice in hope. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. That's the first rejoicing there. So justification changes our status before God in two major ways. We're going to see it in the first two verses of this chapter. We now have a status of peace with God. That's the first one. And we now have a status of grace with God. So you're at peace with God, and you have a grace that you're standing in of God. So let's take the first one. We now have a status of peace with God. So what does that mean? It means having peace with God is not the same as having the peace of God. Having peace with God is not the same as having peace, the peace of God. So the peace of God is what we would read about in Philippians, Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the peace of God. The peace of God is the satisfied state of the heart, the state of the mind. It's a peace that is not based on subjective reasoning of the things that are going on around you, but it's the peace that God gives you that is beyond our understanding. It is what God produces in us, the peace of God. But this is talking about the peace with God. Now, when we think about peace, we think about all the different types of ways to try to achieve peace in our life. And I was in a uh, training session uh, this last year, just going through these awesome, everyone's favorite video trainings. That's everyone's favorite video training. And, and someone got on there and they were like, all right, this is what we're going to teach you to do. We're going to teach you how to have a peaceful moment because you're going to need a peaceful moment. And so I want you to do what I'm doing. And we're watching on the screen. I'm not participating. I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm just watching on the screen. And they're like, I want you to take a deep breath. Breathe in. Breathe out. Some of you did it just then. That was pretty cool. So you breathe in. Oh, don't you already feel the peace? 
no. I was like, what is this? I'm not even paying. Where's the chips? I need some more chips. So I'm just sitting there eating chips, watching this. But we try to do all types of things to find peace in crazy moments of life. Taking a deep breath, trying yoga. That's a horrible idea. Maybe going for a walk in nature. Maybe, maybe you get your essential oils out and you start rubbing them on your temples. I don't know what you're doing, right? But you're trying to find peace. And this is not the peace that we're talking about. We're talking about a peace with God. So we have peace with God. It's not the same as the peace of God. So what is it? Having peace with God is not moving from a negative status to a neutral status. It's moving from a negative status to a positive status. So you, because of faith, because of the justification that you've received, you're not just moving to a neutral status with God. You're moving to a positive status with God. Praise the Lord, right? Okay, so you're with me. Peace with God is this, the war of hostility between a holy God and a sinful human is over because that wrath has been poured out on Jesus Christ in your place. Peace with God because of what Christ has done on our behalf. We no longer have hostility with God because that has been poured out on Jesus Christ. So having peace with God means that the king has lordship of your life and the fight of rebellion, the fight for accepted sin and idle love is over in your heart. Now, this reminds me of the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10. The rich young ruler reads this way. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all of these I have kept for my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possession. What is, what is it about the rich young ruler that caused him to walk away sorrowful without hope? The rich young ruler wanted to remain ruler of his kingdom. He was happy to follow rules, but he was unwilling to surrender his kingdom. So he walked away sorrowful. When we hold on to our kingdom, when we acknowledge Jesus as Lord, but fail to surrender to his reign, we are met with remorse and sorrow rather than rejoicing. Oftentimes, we're not rejoicing in the justification that we have because we're still fighting for our, our own kingdom kingdom. And, and it would be like a king who comes in and he's taking over territory and taking over territory and taking over territory. And he comes in, and he says, look, I'm going to take over your territory because I'm the Lord. And you say, no, nah, I mean, I'm fine with you giving me some rules. I'll, I'll, I'll play nice, but this is mine. And how many believers in Jesus say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I want to follow the rules, but this is mine. And when we do that, we miss out on the hope, the hope that we have in Christ Jesus, the peace with God that surpasses all understanding, as, as we would see in Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government, and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over the kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. 
The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. We are promised that there would be one who would come in with all authority, one who would be the prince of peace, and he would be a mighty king, a mighty warrior, and he would come in and he would set up dominion over all things. And as we surrender to his lordship, we have peace with God. So the status that we have now is a status of peace with God, but we also have a status of grace with God. I love this part, the status of grace. Through him, we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So what is the status of grace? Standing in the grace of God is not transient, it's permanent. You're standing in the grace of God. You have access to the grace of God in which you can stand. It's it's the idea of going on a hike and getting to a waterfall. And you can walk through the waterfall and get to the other side and be like, that was really, I just, I walked right through that. I felt it. That was wonderful. And that's how a lot of us approach grace when it comes to salvation. There was that moment in my life where I received the grace of God and I walked through it and I'm on the other side. But that's not what scripture's saying. Scripture's saying you're standing in the grace of God. You're standing underneath the waterfall and the grace of God, the unmerited kindness is just being poured out on you nonstop. Yes, praise the Lord, right? That is a good thing. Through him, we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. As Paul would say in Ephesians 2, 12 through 19, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus You who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, verse 15, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. We have peace with God. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. The standing of access to his grace means that you are no longer far off, but you have access through the Spirit to be in the household of God. Now, you are his children. Your status has changed. As R.C. Sproul put, our justification is not just about forgiveness or the imputation of his righteousness, the righteousness of Christ. It's not just about escaping the judgment of divine wrath, though it includes all that. In our justification, we have peace that passes all human understanding. While once we were barred admittance into the immediate presence of God, now we are called to enter into his presence boldly. We can boldly approach the throne of grace. So standing in the grace of God is not transient but permanent, and standing in the grace of God is relational, not religious. As I just referenced Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, since then... We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. 
We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. We, as children of God who have been justified, have access to the grace of God that we can just stand under. As Tim Keller once said, the only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is the child of the king. We have that kind of access. Isn't that amazing? The king, the Lord of lords, who has full authority, has now granted us access into his grace in which we can stand under. It reminds me of the parable Jesus told in Luke 18, 1 through 8. He told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected men. And there was a widow in the city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Will he find the kind of faith that boldly approaches the throne of grace, knowing that we can go to the king at any time, at any hour, and we can boldly approach, and we can knock on the door, and we can ask for whatever we need because he is a God who loves us, and we are his children. The status has changed, and it is not by works. It is by faith. Amen? Through him, we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. What is this hope of the glory of God? I like how William Barclay put it. It is as if Paul is saying, Jesus ushers us into the very presence of God. He opens the door for us into the presence of the King of Kings. And when that door is opened, what we find is grace. Not condemnation. Not judgment. But the sheer, undeserved, incredible kindness of God. Right now, child of God, you can boldly approach the Father and you will be met with grace, not judgment. That means that even if, you, if you're approaching in repentance because of the sins that are in your life, you're approaching a throne of grace, not one of condemnation because of the work of Jesus Christ on your behalf. What an amazing statement that we have peace with God and now we can stand under the grace of God. That is where we stand. So 1 John 3, 1 through 3 says, See what kind of love the Father has given us? That we should be called children of God? And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it does not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. Now. Right now. If you have received Christ you are a child of the king right now. And what will, he, what will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. That should give us something to rejoice about. 
right now. We are a child of the King. Right now, we are able to stand under his grace. My friend Jeremy Richards, who's a part of this church, he has the best illustration for grace. And so I'm going to tell it. When he was in high school, he got into a fight, okay? And so that's pretty much what happened. He got into a fight. He went to the principal's office. The principal called his dad, who was in the military. You don't want a military dad showing up to the principal's office. That just sounds horrifying to me. And so he shows up, and he picks up his son, and he doesn't, I don't know if he even says a word to Jeremy or not, but he puts him in the car, and he drives to the ice cream shop. And so Jeremy's like, is this my final meal? Is this... Is this how it all goes down? So he walk into the ice cream shop and he goes, all right, son, anything you want, load it up. All right, so he loads it up. I don't even know if his dad gets any ice cream, but they sit down at the table and he says, son, do you deserve to be punished right now? Yes, dad, I, I deserve to be punished for what I, what I did. Are you being punished right now? No, I'm not. That's mercy. Are you being given undeserved kindness right now with the ice cream? Yes, that's grace. Listen, you stand under that grace. You deserve punishment, and you don't get it. That's mercy. But not only that, he's pouring out his grace, his undeserved kindness on you because of the work of his son, Jesus Christ. Is that not something to praise the Lord about? That's our new standing in Christ. What a remarkable, remarkable thought that we can rejoice in that. Because of justification by faith, we rejoice in that hope, but we also rejoice in suffering. Verse 3, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So Paul's saying here, from this status change, we have peace with God. We've established that. We have access to a continual grace of God. We've established that. So not only that, we can rejoice in the process of sanctification with God. Through the sufferings of this world, through all the things that we're going to live through, we can even rejoice in that, knowing that he's working these things out towards our glorification one day. That he has not left us or forsaken us. A.W. Peake would say this, afflictions are light when compared with what we really deserve. They are light when compared with the sufferings of the Lord Jesus, but perhaps their real lightness is best seen by comparing them with the weight of glory which awaits us. Oh, one day all these things will be wiped away. He is preparing us with his grace day in and day out for the final day of glorification. He is working in us a sanctification. And what does it best? Suffering. Sufferings produce sanctification. We don't rejoice in the suffering. No one likes suffering. No one wants to be like, oh, this is great. No. But we know that through that suffering, he's producing in us sanctification. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance, often translated steadfastness in other versions and other verses. It's patience or steadfastness. Richard Trench, who was a 19th century Irish poet and Anglican archbishop, said this about endurance, that it does not mark merely endurance or even patience, but the perseverance, the brave patience, with which the Christian contends against the various hindrances, persecutions, and temptations that befall him in his conflict with the inward and outward world. 
Oh, since the justification that came into your life, have you experienced this inward and outward conflict with the world? You have? You face trials, you face temptations, you've struggled and you've contended with patient endurance, knowing that he is working in you all of these things out towards your sanctification as you say no to the flesh and as you say yes to the glory of God. He's working in us in endurance. That's what James would say in one, two, three, four, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces, there's the word, steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. One day we will be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And we have gone through the process of sanctification until we reach glorification. That's a hope that we have. As Peter would say in 2 Peter 1, 3 through 9, his divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with, there's the word, steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. When these things are not going on in our life, when sanctification is not happening as we're going through the suffering, we have forgotten what Christ has done on our behalf. And we've become so nearsighted that we focus on ourselves. And, and when we do that, we become unfruitful in our knowledge of Jesus. And so what is the fruit? The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are all reactionary fruits, not actionary fruits. We can all put on a good show, but when suffering comes, how do we react? Oh, is it the fruit of God that he's producing in you coming forth through the endurance, through the, the trials that you're going through? It leads to character. Character is tested and proved through a trial. Who you really are comes out when you go through sufferings, am I right? Who you really are comes out when you snap at someone. The endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The process of sanctification is going through the refiner's fire. It's like a silversmith who puts silver, I don't know what it's called before it's silver, but silver into a pot and he heats it up and he gets all the impurities out of it so that it is pure. It's the same idea as, as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. As they went into the fiery furnace, the only thing that burned on them were the, were the ropes that bound them. They didn't even smell like fire when they got out of there. Sometimes we go through the refiner's fire so that we can be freed of the bondages of this world so he can produce in us a godly character that would not be there apart from suffering. This is what God's doing. This is the sanctification for those who are justified. What a marvelous gift it is that we, going through trials and tribulations and and sufferings that we see that there's an endurance that he's producing in us, there's a character that he's producing in us, so that we have a hope that is outside of ourselves. Hope, assurance in the Holy Spirit. We have been given the Holy Spirit. It's been given to us. 
In Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. The indwelling Holy Spirit is the believer's hope-filled assurance of salvation and hope-filled assistance in sanctification. You have been given the Holy Spirit. You have been given the third person of the Trinity to indwell you so that you know that even though I'm suffering, even though I'm going through these trials, he is working things out in me. And I know that one day that assurance will lead to glorification. But also, he is assisting me right now so I can say no to the things of this world. So I can pursue him with a whole heart. G. Campbell Morgan says, the secret of this victorious hope is that the love of God hath been poured out into our hearts. Here the idea is not merely that God loves us, though necessarily that is involved. It is rather that he fills us with his love by the Spirit so that we love what he loves and as he loves. That self-emptying sacrificial love becomes the inspiration of all our thinking and all our doing. That's sanctification. Sanctification is that he has granted us and given us his, soul, his Holy Spirit. He's filled our hearts with his love so that we begin to love the things that he loves and we begin to love how he loves because some people are hard to love, am I right? And so we begin to love those people the way he loves them and we see that he is producing in us a character that is outside of ourselves and so we have this hope. We have a hope of a future because we know that he is fully in control. This is the life of those who have just been justified. They have peace with God. They stand under the grace of God. They have been filled with the Spirit of God, and he's producing in them something that is outside of themselves. And so because of this justification by faith, we, we rejoice in God. Let's just, let's just call it what it is. Let's rejoice in God. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved, from him, saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. How do you know that God loves you in spite of you? How do you know? Look at these verses. For while we were still weak, while we were still Sinners, what happened? Christ died for you. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. It is through faith that you receive it. It is the gift of God. It is his justification that is then poured out on you for the sanctification. And so you rejoice in what God is doing. He demonstrates his love for us while we were weak. Charles Spurgeon would say, man by nature is morally weak. We are so weak by nature that we are carried about like dust and driven to and fro, lay every wind that blows and swayed by every influence which assails us. Man is under the dominion of his own lust, his pride, his sloth, his love of ease, 
his love a pleasure. Oh, can you, can you identify with that, that we are sometimes so morally weak that we are driven by the wind of our emotions, by our desires, by the things of this world, and we're just carried away by that? We're so weak. But that was when he died for us. It was at that moment when we were weak and powerless to escape from our sin, weak and powerless to escape death, weak and powerless to resist Satan, and weak and powerless to please God in any form or fashion, God amazingly demonstrated his love for us by sending his son to die on our behalf. It was at that moment. So we have peace with God. We stand under the grace of God. We rejoice in the sufferings because of the sanctification of God. So we rejoice in God because he displays his love for us that while we were still sinners, he died for us. Charles Hodge, if God loved us because we loved him, he would love us only, as, only so long as we love him and on that condition. And then our salvation would depend on the constancy of our treacherous hearts. But as God loved us as sinners, as Christ died for us as ungodly, our salvation depends, as the apostle argues, not on our loveliness, but on the, con the constancy of the love of God. God loves you not because of your loveliness. God loves you not because you are able to put on your best face, put on your best actions, follow the best rules. That's not why God loves you. God loves you in spite of the fact that you can't do the right things while you were still weak, while you were still a sinner, while you were still an enemy of God. Isn't it reassuring to know that the demonstrated love of God is not demonstrated in dependence of your godly behavior? Isn't that great to know? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? Rejoice in reconciliation. The word reconcile in the Latin means to bring a person again into a friendly relation with another after an estrangement. Oh, sin caused us to be kicked out of the presence of God. It caused us to be removed. But Christ and his cross has allowed us to be back in children of God who can boldly approach the throne of grace at any moment, at any time. Not receiving condemnation, but receiving grace and mercy. And it was while we were sinners, while we were enemies. See, living in sin is living with a constant attitude of hostility towards God because sin is not only a failure to reach righteousness, but it's a refusal of God and his righteousness. For those who say they know God but yet continue to live in sin as if it's no big deal, you're, you're choosing to live as an enemy of the cross. You're choosing to say, well, I'm, I'm not going to try to be righteous. No, you're refusing God's righteousness that he can produce in you. When we were at war with God, an enemy, hostile, and blatantly living in sin, God demonstrated his love for you by sending his son to die for you. You see, if you choose to live in sin, you are openly resisting God. And whether directly or indirectly, your actions and attitudes are expressing a hatred towards him. 
Let me ask you today, as you seek to boldly approach the throne of grace, do you come in repentance? Do you come enduring, patiently and steadfastly working through the trials and the tribulations of this life so that he's producing in you a sanctification? And part of that is repentance. You see, totally apart from the law and purely by grace, we have a salvation that takes care of the past, the present, and the future. Christ died for us. Christ lives for us. Christ is coming for us. Hallelujah. What a Savior. As you respond this morning, I'm going to ask that you would respond in whatever way the Lord leads you. You might want to sing. You might want to shout. You might want to shout praise the Lord. You might want to bow before him at the altar, at your seat, knowing that all of this has been done apart from your good works. What a gracious king that we get to bow our knee to today. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your justification. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your spirit that has been given to us. You would change in us our loves to match your loves. That you would sanctify us, that you would move us into a deeper and more intimate relationship with you. And today, if there's someone here who does not know you, Father, today I pray that you would lead them to the point of faith where they would bow their knee before you. They would give up their kingship and lordship of their life to you. They would pray that prayer today. They would surrender all to you in Christ's name. Amen. Will you stand? Will you respond? And however God leads you?